We have a lot to cover in our study of Mark. And then, of course, at the end of our service, we will have a time of gathering around the Lord's table. Uh, Sometimes we call it communion. We might call it the breaking of the bread. We call it the Lord's table. And uh, that is a time for the church uh, to gather around and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And he actually gave the church um, two ordinances or two commandments. And he said to baptize and he said to um, to remember him. And that's what we do to remember him around uh, the elements of the bread and the cup. So we will do that to close out our time. And then fittingly, as we do that at the end of our service, we'll move right into our fellowship lunch because the time of communion of the Lord's table was always part in the ancient tradition of the church, part of a bigger feast, an agape feast, and it was a, uh, a time to remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross and what it cost Him and how it was a free gift for us. So the church always remembered that, but then they always set aside a time for celebration, and they ate and they, they, uh, they enjoyed time together as a family, and so we will get to do that as well. And so please, would you um, open your Bibles, if you use your own during service, to Mark chapter 4. As always, it'll be up on the screen in just a couple of minutes when we get to it, and uh, it'll be up there and we'll be able to read it together. We have a long passage today, and you know, sometimes we have just shorter chunks of God's Word, but today it's a larger passage. It's Mark 4, 1 to 34 going to be looking at some of the first parables that Jesus uh, tells. We'll talk all about parables and what these particular parables mean. We're going to lump a whole bunch together because Jesus kind of told them together and Mark lays them out for us with a common theme underneath. You remember our, one of our common themes in Mark is about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of his? And um, Mark, in his writing style, is very to the point, and he uses the word immediately a lot, or sort of on the way, so that's why we've called this series The Way of Jesus, because Jesus was sort of always on the way to the cross, but last week was a pivotal moment in the story because we saw uh, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit when the religious leaders claimed that Jesus had power not from God but from Satan, and that sort of was the final straw where Jesus recognized that from that point on, the nation Israel would reject his offer of the kingdom. Remember, he came saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so now we pick up where he starts to teach his disciples, a crowd, but then more intimately, his disciples. So this is um, so important for us as disciples and what it means. So um, you will see that he tells us to... um, to have ears to listen and to hear. And so that's what we want to do this morning. So the title of the message is The Kingdom of God is Like, because that's how Jesus opens most of these parables. The Kingdom of God is Like. And then he tells a little story to give an illustration. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but I, I find it to be so fascinating. Do you ever wonder how flocks of birds actually migrate to different parts of the world? How do they find where it is that they're going? So many species of birds will continue to go back and forth to the same areas. And you know, you've probably seen wetlands and areas of the country that are preserved because from migratory birds because that's where they, they land or they, they take off and we see them. Right at the beginning of every winter, we see them go or they might be coming. And did you know 
that a big part of how they do that is by using the Earth's magnetic field. Maybe I should start with saying, did you know that the Earth has a magnetic field? We can start with that. Of course we do, right? Let's make that assumption. But migratory birds use the Earth's magnetic field to be able to... um, to be able to, to know where it is that they have to go. It's amazing that they can do that. But here's the thing. When something called the geomagnetic storm occurs, it can throw off their timing. It could throw off their direction. So this is what it is. The geomagnetic storm is this. I bet you didn't know you were going to get this whole science lesson today, right? But here's what it is. So the sun, right, puts out all kinds of energy. And there's solar storms all the time. It is spewing all kinds of stuff at the earth. Now, we can't really recognize it. We look up. We, we enjoy the warmth of the sun. We know how it, it, like, you know, colors our skin or burns our skin, whatever it is. But the sun is doing all kinds of stuff all the time. Solar storms, solar flares. Sometimes you hear about that in the news. It's going to be a big solar flare. It's going to cut out the electricity in our cell phones, right? I mean, what would be worse if we couldn't use our cell phones? I mean, be the end of civilization as we know it, okay? That's why it's all over the news. But here's the thing. When one of those storms occurs and it's more powerful than the Earth's magnetic field, it can disrupt it. Because here's what's interesting. Not only the atmosphere, but the magnetic field of the Earth. You know, we have magnetic poles north and south. The magnetic field of the earth actually shields us and protects the earth from all of those things coming from the sun. It blocks out and deflects most of it and then the atmosphere takes care of the rest. We have this magnetic field because of the earth's core. The earth's core is hot and it's molten and it's liquid. And as it moves around, it creates a current. That's called convection. You've heard of that, right? And so the convection in the Earth's core, all of that molten lava moving around at such a high heat and high speed, it creates electric currents. That then creates the magnetic field. Pretty interesting. But isn't it amazing something so huge that we can't see? Something so amazing that protects us and allows us to live the birds of the air that God created Himself use that magnetic field that we can't see to navigate around the globe. But sometimes the, the sun's solar flares, a geomagnetic storm occurs where just too much is bombarded to the earth and some of it gets through and it can throw them off. Do you know, did you ever hear of a homing pigeon? We don't quite use those anymore, but homing pigeons have been used throughout history to carry messages. They're very reliable. You know, science has found that in the brain of a pigeon, I know we kind of use that term like bird-brained, right? This is kind of like not for that. And we can look at pigeons, you go into the city and you're just like, uh, I don't know, what's the purpose of the pigeons, right? They're flying everywhere. But did you know, especially in homing pigeons and all those migratory birds, in their brains is a little bit of a metallic piece. It's like microscopic but it floats around either behind their eye or in their brain, and that connects to the Earth's magnetic field, just like a compass. Did you know that's how a compass works? A compass is basically that little piece of like iron ore or metal. It's floating in some kind of liquid, and what it is is it, it connects to the Earth's magnetic field. But sometimes the sun shoots enough of its solar energy to disrupt 
the magnetic field. It disrupts everything. In a way, it can disorient the birds, point them in a wrong direction. When something disrupts our normal understanding of things, then our perception is thrown off. We have to reorient ourselves. When we use our GPS and we decide to go the way we think, I mean, why would GPS know the right way? Or we make a wrong turn, what does it say? Rerouting. It reroutes. And after enough times, it should probably tell you just the heck with it, right? Why are you even using it? But it reroutes you. But listen, sometimes when things throw us off, we need to be rerouted. Be reconnected to sort of that true north, that magnetic field, as we might say. When Jesus came to this earth, He threw the earth into a tailspin. He disoriented everybody. We've already seen the religious leaders who thought they knew it. That they had it right. They were the ones who were connected with God, closest to God. Jesus disrupted their world. He threw off their sense of the magnetic field, so to speak. He disoriented the religious leaders to the point where what we saw last week was that they were going to condemn Him to death already. Because they had disrupted their world. There were many different reactions to Jesus when He came on the scene. There were those religious leaders who hated Him. There were crowds of people that sought His miracles. The wonders, the healing, the free food. Even we saw last week, His family thought he was crazy there were some that were indifferent you know there was a movie that came out years ago it was called 2012 did you ever see it one of those big summer blockbusters those action films it was about the end of the world it was about all these things were happening and the 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 earth plates were shifting and part of this the plot of that movie 2012 was that the magnetic poles were shifting and all of a sudden the north pole was located in wisconsin But it was throwing off the whole earth, the axis and everything, and the earth was being completely disrupted. There were cataclysmic events changing the world as they knew it. Jesus changes the world as it was known back then and today. Even today, Sunday, August 5th, 2018, Jesus is still changing the world, is He not? turning the world upside down he's doing it now one heart at a time so that's where we find ourselves in our biblical text jesus is disorienting the religious leaders he's creating a polar shift in the world of the day he's eliciting varying reactions from people with the message he came to bring you remember what that message was When he came on the scene, John the Baptist had prepared the way and they both had that same message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember we said that was Jesus saying, I am here. I am the kingdom. I have brought the kingdom. It's in light of that that we read today's passage. The parables of Jesus. See, it's important we understand that what's happening at this point is that the religious leaders are now out to get Him. There are people following Him for the miracles, crowding in all around. 
his family is trying to save him because they think that he's crazy. Insane, they say. Jesus then begins to change the way that he teaches. This is really important. It has so much influence on us today. Because now Jesus is still teaching the crowds, but what we're going to see in our passage, I'm going to read in a moment, Jesus then takes his disciples. Remember last week we saw he called them? He called the twelve, especially. He pulls them aside. And he starts teaching them. Explaining the parables. So let's get into it. Mark 4, 1-34. And I'll read it. It'll be up on the screen for you. It starts with the parable of the sower. Very familiar. Then he tells the parable of... Um, he then tells the other parables that... Not wrong here. We're going to see that. He, oh, the sower and the seed. There's the lamp under the basket. There's a different parable about a seed that's growing. The parable of the mustard seed. Jesus taught about 35 parables total. We see them throughout the four gospels. They have the three gospels, actually. I don't believe John has any of the parables. So at the three, what we call synoptic gospels, Jesus taught over 35 different parables. A parable is very simply this. It's a simple story used to illustrate a spiritual truth. Here's what it says. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd, there's that crowd again, gathered about him so that he got into a boat. He sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Can you just picture that right there? The crowds were so big, pressing in around him on all sides. He went to the beach. He got on a little boat. He went out, maybe a few yards off, 10, 20, 50 yards out. The people all stood on the beach listening to him teach. Isn't that amazing? There was a hill right there, so it kind of naturally projected his voice. The crowds gathered, listened to the teacher on the boat in the sea. And he was teaching them with many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed, and some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. Then he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So when he was alone, those around him, it's probably a little bit later, with the twelve, asked him about the parables. So he said to them, To you, remember this is the smaller group, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes, takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones 
sown on rocky ground. They're the ones, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. But then others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word. They accept it. They bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Then he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said to them, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he doesn't even know how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in that ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And then he said, So with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now I have to say, you probably caught on to this, but there is so much in here. I mean, we could take one parable at a time. We could spend weeks on each parable. I do want to focus on the very first one, the one that takes up most of our passage which some people call the, the, the parable of the seeds. It really is probably better to be, to be seen as the parable of the four soils. You'll see why in a moment. That's where we're going to focus most of our time. But here's what I want to do, just briefly give you an overview of what's going on, talk about these parables, and then I would like to look at mostly the parable of the, false, the four soils. I'm going to summarize each parable and just show you how they connect together. I think that's the best way we can do it, but then spend uh, the, the rest of our time looking at the parable of the four soils and how that really indicates everything else. Because if you, if you remember right here what he just said, he said in verse 13, you don't understand this parable of the four soils? How then will you understand all the parables? See, so the parable of the four soils is the key. It's the key for us to understand all the other ones. And Jesus then brings his disciples together in a smaller group. He even explains it. We don't have to wonder. He explains this is what the seed means. This is what the soils are. These are the different reactions. Okay. So these first are some of Jesus' parables. Not all of them. Mark obviously chose some. 
And he indicates that. Here's some of his parables. They simply depict the character of those in the kingdom. The character of the believer. But he tells these parables in light of the offer of that kingdom to Israel, which had now been clearly rejected by the religious leaders. So on a whole, even though there's always a a remnant of believers, on whole, Israel rejected the kingdom. So now Jesus starts to teach in parables. There was different responses by people to Jesus. There was at once growing opposition, but at the same time, he was wildly popular. So much so that he had to get on a boat so he could teach all the crowds. Jesus was, in many ways, a polarizing figure. No one really was indifferent. If they said they were, I don't believe they were. Because in fact, Jesus doesn't even leave us that option. Many of us have heard what's been attributed to C.S. Lewis, this idea of liar, lunatic, or lord. Did you ever hear that? That Jesus gives us three options when He claims to be God. Which He has done already. He is either a liar. He's just totally lying to us. And so we have to say, Jesus is a liar. He's either a lunatic, like His family thought He was. Just crazy to claim that He is God. I mean, what man would ever claim to be God? Or the third option is that He truly is Lord. Why is that so important for us to understand? Why? Because Jesus does not give us any other option. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember, Jesus does not, listen, does not give us the option to be indifferent. We cannot claim that He is just a good moral teacher. There are many in today's world that love Jesus. They love to talk about Jesus. They don't like the church so much. Or Christians. But they... They think Jesus is good. He's got good things to say. They might put him on the same realm as Mother Teresa or Gandhi. See? That's sort of the thinking. Jesus does not give us that option. Because he claimed to be God. He was either a liar, which really the Pharisees thought, a lunatic like his family thought. But he truly is the Lord. Or it's been said another way that, that he was either deceived himself, he deceived others, or he truly was divine. The Pharisees, they tried to trap and kill him. The crowds, they wanted the healing and the miracles, but mostly for all the wrong reasons. His family thinks he's crazy. His disciples follow him, but truly don't understand. Jesus elicits all kinds of responses, and that's why he then gives us the parable of the four soils. It really shows from Jesus' words the different responses to his claim to be God. That's why he now starts teaching in parables. You know, the parable of the four soils, some of it can get lost on us because we don't really live, especially around here in an uh, agricultural society. Of course, you remember back in the day where Jesus was teaching by the Sea of Galilee and around Capernaum, most of the people, farmers. Does it make sense that Jesus would then give an example, an illustration of what he's trying to say by seed and soil? I mean, we understand that the basic um, you know, workings of of farming and planting and getting a harvest and how that all works. But Jesus tells in parables simple stories that are used 
to illustrate spiritual truths. Why? To reveal the truth to those who wanted to know it, but also to conceal the truth from those whose hearts were hardened. Now that might seem like, why would Jesus not want people to know the truth? Remember, in context, everything in context, the religious leaders had already disowned him. They had already claimed that his power was from Satan. Jesus knew they were rejecting him. They already said they wanted to kill him. A plot to destroy Jesus. So Jesus knew. He taught in parables for those that had ears to hear, like he says often, so they would understand the truth. He brings the disciples closer to explain it, but also to mask and to hide that truth. And I believe in some ways he did it because he's merciful. You know why? The more truth you have, the more responsible you are for it. If he would have continued to teach outside of parables, the nation of Israel would have been more and more condemned. So Jesus, being compassionate and merciful, I believe did, teach in parables for that very reason. But there were those that had already rejected him. Their hearts were hardened. And Jesus taught in parables to hide that truth from those who did not want to understand. There is a choice to be made. We'll see that in a moment. I'd like to read Matthew 13, 10 to 17. It'll be up on the screen. This is Matthew's account. It's a little bit longer. Gives a better explanation of what we're reading here. Okay, remember Mark is very trite and concise. This is Matthew's uh, more detailed account. Not the whole thing, just a portion of when uh, Jesus explains or why it's explained that he teaches in parables. This is really important for us. Here it is, Matthew 13, 10 to 17. This is Matthew's version of the same parables. Okay, Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You see, he's speaking in parables because it's not for them anymore. They rejected it. It's for you, my disciples. You get to know the secrets of the kingdom. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has can be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy by teaching in parables. How about that? And here it is from Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would, hear, uh, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, this is still to the disciples now, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you now hear and did not hear it. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is saying this, when he says the mysteries of the kingdom, a mystery in the Bible is something that was uh, concealed. It was a truth that was not known, but it's now one that Jesus makes known. Very simple. So Jesus says, fulfilling prophecy, because Isaiah prophesied against the nation Israel, the Old Testament saying, 
you have hardened your heart against God. See, the same thing is happening here with religious leaders representing Israel. So he says, now disciples, I am giving you the mysteries of the kingdom. I am revealing to you something even the prophets didn't know they wanted to. They wanted all the truth, but it was hidden from them. But look, Jesus now says the kingdom of God is at hand. Israel rejected it. He pulls his disciples and says, now it is to you, the believers. I will give the mysteries of the kingdom. And he explains it in the parables. And he says, if you can't understand the parables of the four soils, you won't understand any parable. That's why he explains it to them. And this is how it works. And over and over again, please catch this. If you're in your Bibles, you can highlight it or underline it. He often says, hear and listen. Think about that. Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, then you need to hear it. If you have eyes to see, you should see it. But he not only says, hear, he says, listen, isn't there a difference? You can hear something, you don't really listen. Parents, we know what that's like with our children, right? Oh, they hear everything we say. Did you listen to what I said? They hear it. Are they listening? It's a difference. So Jesus, like a father, is telling his disciples, hear it. But listen, listen to what I'm saying. The disciples still a bit clueless yet. That gives us hope though, doesn't it? So then he even explains it to them. So here, the parable of the four soils. Just give an overview of each of the parables and then we'll just, our last few minutes will be on the, this, the four soils. So the parable of the four soils, right? There's the wayside ground, the first one. Those who have the seed taken from their hearts by Satan. See, the very first one, there's four soils. The very first one are the unbelievers. Those who hear the word, but they reject it. They allow, because of their hardened heart, because of their love of the world, they allow Satan to take the word away so that what? So it does not germinate or plant roots. There's no growth there. You know, if you're a farmer, you understand that you have a farm, and around the farm... Look, there are roads where you walk or where you have your cart, right? Today, your tractor. What happens when you have dirt and you trample it down? Does it become very hard? You put a seed down, it can't get down underneath. That's why farmers till the soil. That's why when you're going to plant a vegetable garden in your backyard, you got to churn up the soil. If you just drop it on clay, you drop it on hardened soil, nothing's going to happen. That's the first soil. These are those who reject the truth. They are those, because they do not want to understand, their hearts are still of stone, and Satan easily comes in, blinds them to the truth, takes the gospel away, so they cannot believe. So while Satan does contribute to their blindness, it's precipitated by their own hardness of heart, because we have a part to play. Do we receive The truth of God. This soil represents those whose hard hearts are manipulated by the enemy. The stony ground. The second one. Now, the next three are believers. Important to understand that. So, the stony ground. Those who hear the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. says in verse 16. But yet, it's shallow. They do not endure The root cannot grow deeper. If you ever try to plant something in rocky soil, it's not going to work. So it can germinate. There is growth there. There is life. 
but the root cannot go deep enough. So then the winds, the world come by, snatch it up. Did you ever see a tumbleweed? In the movies you've seen it, right? Westerns? Why? A big tumbleweed, but their roots are like this. So the winds come by and snatch it away. So the stony ground is like that. They stumble. The people that he's talking about that have that soil, the second soil, the stony ground soil for their heart, they stumble when faced with tribulation, persecution, and temptation. So this soil represents those who believe, they obey at first, but then they sort of wither away. They don't believe. They're still believers, but they stop following, stop obeying. They don't last very long. The third soil. The thorny ground. So we have the one where it doesn't even take root. No life, no germination. The second one, the rocky soil. Life happens. They're believers. But you know what? Just quickly, temptations come. They fall away. They stop following after God. They don't want to grow. There's no growth. See that? Very little growth at all. Third, the thorny ground. They hear the word. There's some fruit there, but it's choked out by the weeds. Don't we have weeds in our lives? What are the weeds in your life? It says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. You know that word for cares, when it says the cares of this world, this is important. That word in the Greek means anxieties. Do you have anxieties about life? We all do. We are called to be anxious for nothing. It's not that easy. I know it. But he says the cares of this world. When we let those things that makes us anxious or depressed or worried that we get hung up on, we're not going to be able to grow. It's like that thorny ground. Or the deceitfulness of riches. How about going after something? Silver, gold. All the riches of this world. Do we then replace God with those things? Or he says not only the anxieties of the world or the deceitfulness of riches, because it's not going to bring you what you think. How about the desire for other things, the pleasures of life? Are we so caught up in just our own physical, mental, and emotional pleasures that we allow those things as weeds to grow up. And what do weeds do? They choke out the life of the healthy plant. But you know what? This is something we have to do all the time, don't we? I mean, do you just pull up the weeds from your garden and they never come back? No. I wish. They come back. It's the same thing with our hearts, see? See? We can do that weeding. We say, what are those things that I am letting get between me and God? And we do some pruning and some weeding. But you know what? The enemy's always out there. The world is waiting. So we need to be diligent. Diligent farmers. Diligent taking care of the garden. The soil of our hearts. See, this soil, the third one, the thorny ground, represents those who believe and those who obey but then they kind of stagnate. Maybe that's where you are today. You believe, you obey, there's growth. But the growth has stagnated. See, in a garden where there's lots of weeds, there's good plants. There's beautiful flowers. They're growing, 
but not as big and bold and beautiful as they could be because the weeds are choking out the nutrients and the sunlight. Don't let that be like our hearts. That's why it represents Christians who are rendered fruitless by materialism, the cares of the world, the pleasures of life. Finally, the last one, the good ground. There's the one, right? There's the one where they hear the word, they accept it, and there's all kinds of varying amounts of fruit, but they're growing. See, they're growing. 30, 60, 100 fold. Why is that important? You don't have to compare yourself to other Christians. But as much as we're allowing God to control our lives, we will grow and produce fruit. Some of us 30 fold, some of us 60 fold, some of us 100 fold, Jesus is saying. Regardless, believers, we are growing. But isn't our goal to produce as much fruit as possible? It should be. Do you know that most fruit trees take years to bear their first crop of fruit? And we kind of take that for granted, right? I mean, in the autumn, I love to go pumpkin picking. and Well, they don't grow on trees, but I love to grow apple picking. And there's apples everywhere. You just figure like they're always there. There's an old saying for tree growers that says that the best time to plant an apple tree is 20 years ago. See, if you want the apples, you have to be patient and wait. But it's the same thing with us. Like we have to have patience, but we have to keep growing and moving forward. See that? Do some weeding. Make sure there's no rocks that are preventing us from digging deep roots into the soil. It takes time. Some people bear fruit right away. Some of us, it takes a little bit more time. But as long as we continue to grow, how about we continue to learn and grow and serve? Those are three good words. Just briefly, and then I'll close us. The parable of the lamp, when he says, take heed what you hear, it's it's basically Jesus in these short, these other parables. it's, It's more of the focus on the, on the accountability. See, the parable of the sower is about the hearts of men, right? The different soil is our heart. Are we receiving it? The seed stays the same. That's important. The seed isn't different. The seed is the Word of God, Jesus says. That never changes, does it? So the, so the Word of God does not change. It's not the seed that changes. It's our heart. But this parable of the lamp is more about accountability. See, a lamp reveals, right? You go in, you turn the lamp on, it reveals everything that's in the room. So the lamp of God's revelation, it says, will be brought to light, made manifest. The secret and hidden things of men's hearts. It's really a somber warning from Jesus to hear, take heed what you hear. We have to be willing to give careful heed to the Word of God. When you read the Word of God and it challenges you, do you do something about it? The Word of God is is alive. It's active. It pierces, does it not? Convicts, challenges. It's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the Word of God and He applies it to our lives as we let Him. When we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? All those. It's not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming out in us. So don't we want to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit We do, because then fruit is attractive, right? Fruit is attractive to others. That's why apples are red. See, it attracts.
flowers, attracts the bees, the colors, it's attractive. We want to be attractive to others because of who we represent. The parable of that growing seed, 26 to 29. Disciples who faithfully preach the Word of God, we can have confidence that the Word has life and is powerful in and of itself. Listen, there's going to be different responses to the Word of God. Sometimes you share your faith, right? And some people, yes, tell me more. Others, maybe they are indifferent. Some people think you're crazy. Jesus got all of those same responses. So he tells this parable, especially the first one. But the parable of the growing seed is pretty much saying, look, God's Word is powerful. If we just, as a seed, if we cast it out there, if we present the Word of God as the seed, and we go to plant it, then who does the watering? Who does the growing? God does it. Because it's Him, it's His power. So the call for disciples is simply this. Have an ear to hear the Word of God, listen, obey, and then share it. Cast it out. Cast it far and wide into the field. Some people's hearts are ready. You don't be the judge of that. Let God do that. Our only It's so simple. We're not the ones bringing people to the Lord. God does that. He calls people to Himself. You know what He tells us to do as followers of Christ? Plant the seed. Just cast the seed. God will do the watering, the growing. He'll do that. But we are to share it. Some people will receive it because their hearts are ready. Pray for that. Some people will have the rocky ground and hey, they'll be joyful and praise God and then all of a sudden you never see Him again. Don't know what happens. Others, they quickly, there's some growth, but then they quickly let the weeds of this world, the cares, the, rich, the, the seeking after riches, the pleasures of life, all those things, they let it just choke out any growth. But let us be like that fourth soil. So Jesus tells these other parables, the lamp and the growing seed. He's like, God's Word's going to move forward. Just live it out, but also share it. We are to receive it, but we are to sow it. Those two things, as disciples, receive the Word of God, and grow, then to share it. He says the parable of the mustard seed, the last few verses, the same thing. The mustard seed, the smallest, right? It's a small little seed, and it grows this huge plant. He says even the birds of the air can put their nest in it from a tiny little seed. Did that ever just amaze you? Did you ever see a huge oak tree and a little acorn? Next to it, man, that tree came out of that? That's God that does that. What we're called to do is just broadcast the seed, see? To, To receive it, but then to sow it. So the mustard seed, he's saying God's Word will move forward. It'll be amazing. Look, Jesus, you know why he tells that parable? Simply this, he's saying, look, there's a lot of opposition now. He's telling his disciples, the Pharisees want to kill me, right? People think I'm crazy, the crowds are pressing and they don't even really know what I'm trying to do and teach. There's going to be a lot of opposition, but don't worry. Don't worry. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God will go. Hearts will be changed. We see then that early church, don't we? After Jesus' resurrection and ascension and all the disciples went out, right? And Jesus gave them that great commission. Be my disciples. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, right? All the corners. Out, out, and out. That's what we're supposed to do. Broadcast it far and wide. 
And finally he says, hear and listen. He repeats that nine times in these verses. Hear, hear, hear. Perceive it, understand it, listen. Accept it. We need to make every effort to make the soil of our hearts receptive to God's Word. Some final implications and applications. Just ask yourself, what kind of soil are you today? Perhaps you're here and maybe you've recognized that you are that hardened ground. Maybe you're here and you're still searching and you recognize you're more of that wayside, that path, because you're not allowing the Word of God to take root or to take seed in your life. The truth you've been searching for, if that's you this morning, I encourage you, let today be the day where you allow your heart to be softened to receive the truth of the Gospel, which tells us very plainly that the only way back to the Father to overcome the consequence of our sin nature is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we're going to remember that. What kind of soil are you? The stony ground? The thorny ground? The good ground? If you're a believer and you're here today, seek not to be the stony ground or the thorny ground, but to be the one that allows God's Word in so we can grow 60, 30, 60, 100-fold. You know, as we... um, just conclude with our brief time around the table. Remember that we, we will then move into our time of celebrating um, the Lord's resurrection through our, our agape feast. But it is good and it is right. And Jesus tells us to do so, to gather around His table to remember. And so we simply do this. It says it there. And we say it each time. Every month we get together and we have it on the first Sunday of the month remember. Do this in remembrance of me. See, what we're doing now is we are simply remembering what Jesus did on that night before He was betrayed. When He was in that upper room with these disciples, those that were gathered, He takes a loaf of bread and He breaks it. He passes around. He says, this represents my body. It's going to be broken for you. Did they understand? No. It was the night before he was going to be betrayed. He didn't quite understand it yet. He did it for those that he loved. The ones who he taught in parables. Then he takes a cup of wine and he passes it around. He says, this cup is the covenant. The new covenant. This is all new. He says, take it. Every time you get together, do it in remembrance of me. So that's what we're going to do now. It's all in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. As we even are reminded of how He started to teach His disciples in these parables, these short stories of illustration, He did it because He loved them. He did it because He wanted them to know the truth so that what? So they could grow. So their hearts would be turned from stone to flesh, the Word says, so that they can then receive the truth. That's what we are to do this morning. So I'm going to ask... If you would pray, please pray, brother, for our bread.